dream, cowboys. Welcome back, everybody. It's the HBO Boys talking about the only show really on HBO that seems that interesting at the current point in time. His Dark Materials, Season 2, Episode 4, Tower of the Angels. Although, I gotta say, the angels, uh, not in the tower, uh, all around us. Uh, sure. I mean, I would prefer my angels in the outfield, but that's just mm-hmm. me. I like angels in America. Mm, that's, I, I'll take that. Also, you have angered all of the Undoing fans, James. One of the only HBO shows that is worth watching how dare you for everyone who likes hugh grant nicole kidman and a ensemble cast that just does not quit i haven't watched the undoing and i've heard it's no, terrible i haven't i haven't heard a single thing about it we really backed the right horse <laughs> in this decision they're gonna keep giving nicole kidman shows and she's gonna keep making them and i'm gonna keep not watching them but more power to her this episode, directed by the same director as the last one, Leanne Wilhelm, and written, as always, as Jack Thorne, but this time with Namsi Khan, who I believe is new to the show. New to the show she is. Choo-choo! Do you know what that is, James? What's that? That's the chill train, James, and it has left the station. Roll it in. Sorry, I was going to take it uh, rolling into the station, but you just said it left. Never mind. No, it's gone. The chill station is, you you're, can watch it from far away. With your hand on your brow, like you're looking off into the distance dramatically. Because once again, with this episode, the book readers and the show watchers alike on the internet have climbed upon this episode's proverbial phallus. And I don't understand Mm -hmm. it. Chill Ryan's out. Manic Ryan is being tagged in, coach. Okay, this episode includes an unapologetic Lord of the Rings ripoff. A witch show of force that was neither surprising nor interesting, and possibly the worst choreographed fight scene in HBO history, yet the internet has climbed atop its pulpit, its pulp pulpit, if you will, and I will, and it's screaming from the rafters that this is another hit. An 8.8 on IMDb. Goddamn how, Mm. dude. I mean, I I didn't dislike, uh, to me, both this episode and the last episode, fine. Seeming to be building to something more dramatic to come. Right. I'll say this all on that with that previous paragraph. I'll say with a slight caveat, which is, of course, this show is better than most other entertainment on TV right now. But I, I in my opinion, it's nowhere near Mandalorian, which I would argue is the best show on television right now. And that's the level that's to be expected out of a post Game of Thrones premiere television world on HBO. When Mad Men and Breaking Bad and early seasons of Game of Thrones were on simultaneously, there were not like laughable moments that made you question their quality that happened multiple times in an episode. And this episode had multiple times where I was like, what's going on? Why is this so bad? And then why are other moments in the show so promising? Which is what's really a bummer about it. Is that like there are so many moments where it could be the best show on TV. And then every now and again, like two to three times this episode. It's just like, oh no, uh, this is some grade A storytelling mixed with some campy ass bullshit. And the brainwashed sheeple agree with a lie that it's as good as they hoped for. And I don't understand that, James. Tell me why those p- people are bad. Let's take it scene by scene, and I- I'm interested to know w- what are the parts you hated so much. All of them. Not all of them. Keep going. Let's go. 
we'll, we'll jump around through the, the like the three or four plot lines of this episode, but it, it, it begins with the backstory of the magic knife that we heard about in episode three. It's a magic knife. It's a subtle knife. It's so subtle you get stabbed by it. You don't even realize. Uh, or, or 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 the pain of being stabbed from it. You 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 have to have a, a higher taste to appreciate it. Yeah, like oh okay that hurts, but but you know in a nuanced way. The pretentious knife. Yeah, the beginning of this episode <laughs> was basically the beginning of Lord of the Rings. Actually, not basically. It was exactly like Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. It was Galadriel describing the One Ring. Yeah, the world is changing. You can feel it in the knife, <laughs> and. You know, by the way, though, uh, the difference is Galadriel is better than all of the OP limp dick witches that are in this story. So a million years ago, a bunch of alchemists made a knife so sharp that you could cut through the multiverse and they put it inside a secret tower with no door to keep it safe. But instead of using the knife to cut for good, they used it to cut things to their own selfish ends and they cut things carelessly, and they used it to get money or personal glory. And they accidentally unleashed the specters into their reality. And then Asriel opened up the, the big portal, and even more specters came in, and they ate all the people in the city. And that's why there's nobody left. Uh, yeah, the knife causes both careless whispers and wraiths to eat all the adult people. And this part I was fine with. An act of hubris to start a origin story makes a lot of sense to me. It is a cornerstone of most storytelling. So I'm fine with this part. Moving on. Let's do Boreal first. Boreal. There's a reason the first half of his name is boring. So Professor Malone's like smarmy colleague is showing him the cave. He's like, this is our supercomputer where we talk to the universe. And and Boreal's very impressed. And they go to see Malone and he's like, listen, I love your talking supercomputer. I think we could probably find a way to load it into a missile and shoot it at people in the Middle East. And Malone's like, no, get out of my office. To be fair, James, for uh, fighting for Oliver Payne, Mary's swarmy colleague, they're going to be shut down in like two days. He's looking for any answer yeah. to keep them. <laughs> they have enough funding to get to lunch and then they're out. <laughs> right. So he's just trying his best. Obviously, the bad guy of the story is not the best dude to keep them running. But also, like, is that Boreal's... Wait, does, does he have like a job in our world as well i don't know like but what is darth charles's goal here like does he think that that was gonna work did i mean i don't think he knows anything about mary malone right did he go in there being like i'll tell him it's for defense and they'll be like oh dude sick right he should have been like yeah i i think i can find a way to use your supercomputer to streamline you know uh children's letters to santa and give them presents right and then after after they signed the deed he's like okay and and now i'm gonna strap this to a bomb i know the only way it would work if he was just like yeah i would like to fund your research as long as you use your invention to strengthen the bond and relationship with your own sister she's like oh perfect that's perfect the next time we see boreal he's like back in his og world talking with coltier and he's like, listen, I've, I have Lyra. I don't, you know, I don't physically have her locked up anywhere, but I have her locked into this deal that we made 
that if she wants the golden compass, she has to bring me the subtle knife. So when she succeeds, which I assume she will, I'm not really keeping tabs on her or anything, but I'm sure she's got it. And when she does, uh, you can have her back. To which Miss Coltier, having no other choice, is like, okay, that sounds good. But you can see the rage in her eyes. And then he's kind of like flirting with her and holding her hand and like stroking her fingers. And he's like, you and I should become partners in our evil plans and also maybe in romance. He shows her his snake, basically saying, hey, let's fuck. And then immediately after they go and he takes her to like his window, which is like in front of painting somewhere. So hot. Yeah. Hey, baby, you want to see my window? Come to my window. I'll be home soon. I'm the songbird of our generation. And then later, Malone is like trying to speak with the supercomputer, which like, you know, she's getting a little bit better at every episode. And this time it actually talks back to her with a voice and it answers her questions like, am I talking to the shadow particles? Yes. Are the shadow particles dust? Also, yes. Who who am I talking to? You're talking to angels. Oh, angels. Oh, that's interesting. Did you guys guide human evolution? Yes. Why? For revenge. Oh. Uh, okay, revenge on who? Next time right. on What the Angels Feel. <laughs> I'll tell you what you should be asking. Angels, how do I get funding for this research? Because we're, re- like, we're getting shut down tomorrow. Or Angels, who's going to win the next sporting event this evening that I can put a very large bet on? Yeah, what are the Powerball numbers for next week? The Biff and Back to the Future strategy is really the road she should be going down. Although I think if she d- started doing that, then like Spectres would come and eat her brains, probably. I think that's how that works. Well, listen, it, she, it, what, what would she prefer, James? Okay? If the Spectres are eating her brain? Or if her research will keep going? Okay? It's her whole life, James. Let the Spectres eat her brain worth the other thing that's happening in this episode is that Alexander Hamilton, Lee Scoresby, is still on the chase to find Will's dad, who goes by a million names, but the man he's looking for is named Grumman, and he's looking for him in a swamp, and he comes across a lone Damon, a bird, and he's like, hey, keep going up the river and you'll find a little house. That Damon is a lady, and she's mm-hmm. played by Phoebe Waller-Bridge who is Fleabag in Fleabag, and also the executive producer in Killing Eve and many other shows. Probably, if Andrew Scott is up there for, like, top five most talented people, maybe let alone people, or perhaps all people, but, you know, for sure actors of our generation, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is, like, Actually, it's not even com- comparable. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is maybe the greatest artist living today, in my opinion. So I'm just psyched that she's a bird and she's Andrew Scott's bird. Although I will also say, James, uh, I don't understand why birds are in this series. Birds aren't real. Yeah, you you mentioned that earlier. I, I think birds are real. Uh, I see them all the time. I, they're a conspiracy, James. A, okay. a government conspiracy. All of them are microchipped. It's a whole thing. We can do a whole podcast the Birds Aren't Real podcast coming out next week. All right. Well, you know, I'm not a very strong-willed person, so I'm just going to take your word for it. And if you say birds aren't real, then I'll just make that my truth as well. A birdless world is a better world, James. And it's perfect because birds aren't real. The demon brings Lee to a secluded hut where he finally finds Grumman, but now he's not going by Grumman anymore. He's like, please call me Japley. So this guy, what's his name? Steve Perry? No. 
What? Uh, maybe. Actually, I, I laughed like that wasn't true. I don't know what his actual OG Will World name is. Joe Pari is his new shaman name. I'm just going to keep calling him Stanislaw Grumman. I'm going to call him Grumman, I believe. Is that what did he say? Joe Pari? Yeah. Joe Pari? Yeah. I thought he was saying like Jopley. I had no fucking clue what he <laughs> was saying. Jopley is a better name. They should have used He's Jopley. He's terrible at coming up with names. It's like, hey, hey, you, you don't have a demon. You look like you came from another world. What's your name? My name? It's uh, Stan. Stanislaw Grumman. Yeah, that sounds real. Wait, wait, wait. You need a shaman name. What should that be? Jopery? Jopery. It's like Popery, but with a J. He, Jopery, tells Lee that actually he summoned him here using a totem which was a small necklace that once belonged to Lee's mother. Okay, that's super specific. Weird that you have that. And he is Avatar the Last Airbender, so is what it is. Later, Jopri tells Lee about the subtle knife and how he wants to bring the knife to Asriel, who needs it. And Lee is against this because he's like, well, Asriel is this bad guy who kills children. Lee doesn't even know that. Okay, he just doesn't like him implicitly. Right, because he was mean to Lyra. And then Lyra followed him, and he has to try to protect Lyra, and he doesn't know where he is because she followed Asriel. He doesn't even know the part about the child murder yet. Okay, well, Jopri is saying that actually Asriel's cool, and that sometimes you have to do bad things. Like, sometimes you have to be mean to your daughter or kill children in the service of the greater good, okay? Or leave your son completely. And I believe he also says, you don't have to like the man, you just have to like the mission. Like, no, everybody thinks Azrael's a dickbag, but he's doing the right thing and he's leading us in a war we all don't even know we're fighting. So, like, while he is not the best dude, we have to help him as much as possible. Yeah, and Lee also intimates that that Azrael's like a deadbeat. He's like, yeah, and I hate nothing more than deadbeat fathers. Those guys are the worst. And Jopri's like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, me and my feeling about fathers, about half of the last episode was about that. Anyway, I'm sure you don't have anything in common with people who leave their children. So Grumman tells Lee all about his sob story that he came to this world, but he couldn't figure out how to get back. And he feels bad about leaving his son behind. And maybe, you know, I can't get back to my son. But what I can do is save the multiverse which will, you know, also benefit my son. And Lee's like, wow, you're a good guy after all. I will help you so long as you promise that if we find the subtle knife, you will only use it to protect Lyra. And they agree, and they go. Yeah, but with the caveats, like, Stanislaw Grumman is like, oh, well, uh, I mean, yeah, but the subtle knife holder is a specific person, and they'll have their own quest to do. And I don't know if that's going to line up with what Lyra needs to do. But yeah, man, whatever you say, I'll do. Yep, I'll do that. 100%. Hundo, baby. So the two of them take off in Lee's hot air balloon. And at first, they're not getting anywhere because there's like a doldrum windless day. But then he does something and uh, he waves the wind waker around. And, and then there's wind to push the balloon. It's his one power and he keeps doing it. All right. The main, the A plot of the story is picking up last episode. Will and Lyra going inside the Tower of Angels to find the subtle knife. <laughs> He's saying it like it's the beginning of an Are You Afraid of the Dark Ghost story on Nick at Night. 
And eventually they find the secret entrance, but there's also like a specter poking around the city watching them. What? What is with the voice you're doing? They're just boo sp- oh, spooky. <laughs> and so they get to the base of the tower, but it's a creepy cavernous <laughs> tower with a long winding staircase. You won't do this for the next half hour. I goddamn dare you. And and there's some weird kid following you them immediately. I knew it. <laughs> God, you just never want to see me happy, and it's so clear. At the top of the tower, they find this very weird old man who's, like, hurt. Is he hurt? He's on the floor. Yeah, he's recently got the shit kicked out of him. His name is Paradisi. Not important, though. <laughs> okay, don't get used to this guy. Yeah, you know, he's played by <laughs> Terrence Stamp, who is currently the knife bearer. He also, by the way, played Lord Asriel in the audiobook for his Dark Materials. What? Yeah, he's also the OG General Zod in the Superman movies. No way. What? Yeah. I love him in, in Superman, too. Damn. Yeah. Anyway, don't get used to him. Yeah. <laughs> they should have given him a bigger part. Oh. Yeah, I know. He was one of the better parts of this episode. This Superman is nothing of the sort. All right. Um, <laughs> that's one of That's his line. I bet it is. <laughs> yeah so they find him and then immediately like the kid who was following them starts like flipping shit and threatening them with the knife and he wants to 3v1 lyra will and the old man for what i don't know i don't know why this kid's so pissed off he i believe knows that he can't go outside you know because of the specters and he has found a priceless artifact and he doesn't want to give it back and then Paradisi and Lyra are like, Will, somehow you're the one who's fighting now. Fight him, idiot. <laughs> yeah, right. So they have a big fight. And, it, you know, the knife is interesting. It just, like, effortlessly cuts through anything it comes in contact with. And yeah, they have a fight. And they almost fall out of the tower. And then eventually, like, Will's, his fingers, two of his ring and pinky get cut off. But, I mean, I don't know. That pisses him off enough to be motivated to beat the shit out of this kid once and for all and get him to drop the knife. Yeah, it reminded me... I don't know if anybody watched The Last Stand, the Michael Jordan documentary, but there's a great meme that came out of it, which is anyone would do anything at all annoying or in Michael Jordan's face, and he would come back with, and then that's when I got mad and I really started to take over. And the smallest things can just really, can motivate Michael Jordan to take over any game he's a part of. Will, you know, loses two of his fingers, and that is what motivates him to end this conflict but a few things. One, it's very clear that both of the people in the fight are bad at fighting and have perhaps never been in a fight in their entire lives, except for the terrible wrestling that Will did previously. Two, like I mentioned at the beginning, a terribly paced, awfully choreographed fight. Just a mumbling match of a fight. It was awful. But the slight saving grace from said fight is that a major plot point occurs during it where he loses two of his fingers and it reminded me of Jamie getting his hand cut off in Game of Thrones. Like, there are these moments that most stories would be too afraid to do, but stories based on books are never afraid to do this kind of shit because they know where they're going and they know why this matters. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think Lovecraft Country Episode 6 would have had Tick's hand cut off ever, right? Like... 
they there's like i mean he can be almost dead or like almost maimed but we're not gonna green screen his hand for three seasons for like one plot point but this show is like no i mean it's a huge part of the show and book that his fingers get chopped off so lop they're gone and it's also important because General Zod also like shows him his hand and he's like, look, when I got the knife, the same Superman cut off two of my fingers too. <laughs> yeah, he lasered them off with his eyes. So yeah, it lets the current bearer of the knife know that the knife is about to be passed on to the new bearer. Apparently the prerequisite for said passing on is losing two fingers. Which is not a great deal. Right. Lyra, she has a magical artifact, too. And she's she has all her fingers. Seems unfair. I mean, but I guess Will's got all his friends, so. And both parents who aren't dead. Well, huh. I said that because I think of Lyra as an orphan, but then completely not, forgot yeah. <laughs> that Lord Asriel and Miss Coltier are her parents. Are her real parents, yeah. <laughs> huh. So, Will wakes up. He, he goes, he, he passes out from the shock of losing your fingers. And, uh... When he wakes up, Weak. now the old man's like getting him drunk, and he's like, "Look, you know, as I said, I lost my fingers too, but that's supposed to happen, so everything's going according to plan." And then there's some sort of like training montage. Yes, this part was a little silly. He explains how the knife works. One side is so sharp that it can cut any physical material, but the other side is even sharper, so that it can cut through reality. And so I guess use that side when you want to cut a portal into a new world. And he can't teach Will how to do this though, because he's in a lot of pain. And I, I really loved this part for being silly. Lyra's like trying to comfort Will and she's like, listen, I know when I want to use the golden compass, I also have to concentrate and I have to push away my emotional pain of the bad things that have happened to me. So you just do you do that with the pain of losing your fingers. Bitch, you have 10 fingers. Don't fucking come at me with that shit. And then also as this happens, a moment in dichotomy occurs where Pan strokes Will's hand, much to Lyra's uh-huh. shock. And it's apparently very clear that in Lyra's world, when your Damon touches somebody else in like a non-threatening or non-aggressive way, it is very much like, oh, these two people are becoming very close. It's usually romantic, usually very sensual. And Lyra didn't even know Pan was about to do it. Pan barely knew that Pan was about to do it. And Will was like, oh, this little ferret's touching me. That's not that big of a deal. But apparently it's a gigantic deal. And it's supposed to be in contrast to Boreal and the snake hand molesting Miss Coltier <laughs> earlier. Right. And and uh, booping Pan's snoot is enough to motivate Will to try even harder nice. than I guess he was. Yes. And, and now he can see the tiny strings that, that make up the fabric of reality and if you slice them with a subtle knife it'll make a window to another world and then if you want to close the window it's much easier you just take your thumb and forefinger and you pinch the top of the window because you know it's shaped like a tear and you just kind of pull it down like a ziploc bag and now it's closed and then general zod is like okay now that you've learned how to do this in an afternoon i will tell you the rules Number one, close all windows you open. Number two, never let others use the knife. Number three, don't talk about Fight Club. Number four, don't use it for ignoble purposes. And number five, keep it a secret. P.S. number six, don't talk about Fight Club. Okay, I'm going to go now and die in peace. Bye. 
Yeah, so you can't open a portal to, like, a bank vault, I guess. This, that's wrong-hearted. Don't do that. Right. Well, what if there are people trapped in the bank vault, James? And right, they're and then you save them. Right. And then you, you save their lives, but then as you're leaving, accidentally, a wad of cash, like, falls into I mean, your pocket. I mean, wad of cash. You snack a few hundos, you save a few lives. I see nothing wrong with that. Yeah, this was, he's like, okay, I'm very tired now. I'd like to go die. Yeah. <laughs> and then he climbs the- to the top of the goddamn tower, drinks something, whether, I don't know if it's poison or, like. I thought it was just booze. He's like, I want to die drunk. Oh, I don't I think it's booze. He he die dies. Like, I think before the specter, which, by the way, comes through the broken window from the earlier slowest pace fight known to man, and eats his goddamn soul out. It looks like Zod slumps over dead. Okay. So I assume it's some sort of poison that he's just, you know, carrying around with him, question mark? Yeah. They're like, well, you could just come with us. He's like, no, guys, I'm serious. I'm done. I gotta go. (laughs) So Lyron will escape the tower, and but then later on we see that, that guy who fought with Will... And he's, like, being stalked through the city by a specter, like the velociraptors in Jurassic Park. Yes, the and, kitchen and scenes, obviously. And it seems like he gets killed off screen. Oh, yeah. No, he's murdered. Yeah. He tries to get in the house with Paola and Angelica slash Liana Mormont, but they don't let him in or they just don't hear him. But it seems more likely that they just don't let him in because they're, like, dickbags. And then, you know, he has a I, I wouldn't call it an off-screen death i mean he basically gets tackled by a goddamn specter to the ground and then he screams in agony so dude's dead are they gonna eat his soul and, and turn him into a, a mindless drone or something that is correct yes and then we cut to will taking a bath which is the same exact kind of vibe yeah and lyra apologizes to him she's like oh by the way i already looked this up in the golden compass and it said that this city was important to you and then i didn't tell you about it because i got so excited about you know going to computer class sorry (laughs) sorry you got your fingers cut off and then he reiterates as he has done multiple times (sighs) okay well we have to get the altiometer back though then right it's been really helpful this whole time and you could have told me that I would lose two fingers to gain a priceless artifact, but you didn't. So there's that, you dick. And well, he tells her like, no, yeah, we'll have to get the knife back, but please don't worry, Lyra. It's all good. I'm fine. It's great. I like you a lot. And then when she leaves, he like makes a very like upset face. Like, fuck, I hate this. I hate my stupid shitty knife life. Yeah, how am I going to be a professional baseball player now? With I, Right, there goes my fucking 13 years of piano lessons down the drain. <laughs> I had an 86 mile per hour curveball. That's fucking gone. The very last thing that hey, is J- happening. Wait, James. In this episode, okay. Life threw him a curveball. And now his curveball is gone. Is that a good joke? Do you like it? Tell me my joke was good. This is such a good joke. Oh, man. You're so handsome. Oh, thank you. The other thing that's happening, the, the witches just can't stop having meetings, and so they're having another meeting. So goddamn dumb. Uh, in this meeting, 
They're talking about how this the witch city got bombed, even though they already had a meeting about that. They're having another one. And uh, they they recap the story of the show so far. And they're like, I said, Lyra and also the bears. And but the thing that we get out of this is that they're deciding to declare open war on the Magisterium. But they're going to send the killer witch lady, the one who killed the Pope. They're going to send her through the portal to go help Lyra. That's the important thing that's established, I think. I think Serafina and Ruta both go through there. I think we're four witches who go through. But yeah, the Magisterium troops are in Zeppelins who are guarding the window. And then mysterious figures show up outside the Zeppelins. Those are the witches. And all of the men in the dirigibles try to shoot them. But, you know, the witches uh, are really fast and slaughter all the people and escape very easily. And it was like there was no... If there was anyone who saw the witches show up at the dirigibles and be like, Oh, man, I am afraid for the witches in this definitely fair fight. You're dumb. You're a dumb person and I don't know what to do with you. This was like the most lops. Of course they're going to win. Like every time they have a conversation where one of the witches is like, you know that door's guarded by so many men with pistols who have never killed us ever. And the right. and, and we move faster than bullets. <laughs> and we should have definitely been doing this exactly. We watched the dirigibles drop bombs on us. How did we not fly up there when they were doing that? Anyway. Or at least just fly away from the bombs. Whatever. So stupid. <laughs> Anywho. And that's the right, end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's no trouble for them. I don't know why they even entered the blimp. They could have just dropped like a knife on the from above the blimp. I, I don't know. I don't know. Are, are blimps that easy to cut? I guess probably not. Most likely no. But your point is both made and taken. Every part with the witches and them fighting is poorly executed, poorly thought out. It's the dumbest part of the show by far. Which, by the way, said show, His Dark Materials, only has 10 episodes left. Isn't that insane? The whole show? Yeah. There are wow. seven episodes next season and three more in and this three, season. Three of this one, yeah. Wow. Hmm. Crazy. Well, I mean, what to say about this episode? Same as the last episode. I mean, it's just kind of building up to something bigger, I believe. That's what Malone did when she got her Iching reading. She got like Hexagram 51, which is like everything's building up to an exciting conclusion. And that wasn't just uh, her fortune being told. It was our fortunes as well. Oh. So I'm sure this is all leading somewhere much bigger but it, it just seems a little bit ponderous at this point. Like, I'm sure once this all falls into place, it, it'll it'll make more. It'll seem as though it flows better, I guess, is what I mean to say. The next episode is also the same director as 4 and 3. So I've, I have a feeling we're, we'll get a bit more of the same. But written by Francesca Gardner, who's, who's actually already been on the show a bit. She wrote another episode, episode 2, which was a better one. So who knows? I'm trying to look at this information without reading the description of the episode sure. so I don't spoil it for myself. <laughs> well, I commend your effort. I do not envy you whatsoever. I'm, I don't try to do that at all. I just try to read it. And by the way, I'm going to give my naysaying some context in this moment. 
I still like his dark materials better than many of the television shows that we have watched previously. I like it more than Raised by Wolves. I like it more than Lovecraft Country. I don't like it more than Perry Mason because in retrospect, every time I think about this and every new show we watch, I like Perry Mason more and more. I like it more than Westworld Season 3, although that's not difficult. I definitely like it more than Game of Thrones Season 8, although that's another in retrospect that I think we'll have to revisit at some point because it gets a bad rap and if it gets... uh, I mean, they forgot about the Iron Fleet. What do you want to fucking do? Dave and Dan ruined that shit. But like, this show, His Dark Materials, is really good. It's just I get so frustrated when something can be truly great and it shows moments that can be defined that way and then it takes weird steps backwards. And obviously, like, making something truly great isn't easy. It's a difficult road, especially keeping, like, a steady quality for an entire episode, let alone an entire season. I'm not saying it's it's easy. I, I, every, anyone could do it. I could do it. They should be able to do it. I just, you know, I want all TV to be great. So when it's not great, it makes me mad. Yeah, I mean, I'm still into it. I, 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 you know, I still enjoy each episode that comes out. I just, I think probably season one was a bit better. Not that, again, not that season two was bad. I mean, if you want to hear me talk about a show I truly do not like, you can tell Ryan and I by the tone of our voice and the kind of things that we say. When we don't like a show, it's extremely apparent. Right. I did not do any of these. (laughs) I did not do like an impassioned rant during... Actually, I don't really remember. I'll, I'm not going to go back and listen to the episodes. But during the Raised by Wolves podcast, I don't think... Maybe I did like after episode one, which was truly good. And then it just went to shit after that. I probably at some point had a paragraph or two about how I was disappointed and how they couldn't live up or wouldn't live up to what they did in the past. But this show is two seasons in and it just is so apparent it's based off of good books because... Things happen on a pretty constant basis, things that are interesting, and the material pulls the show up so much. His dark material pulls the show up so much. God. Oh, we got we got there. Another curveball, baby. Yeah, I mean, we got to end on a high note now. What about ending on a low note? If you want to support the show more, uh, follow us on social media on Twitter. He's at Westworld Ryan. I'm at James. Watch his men. And you can also give us a nice review on whatever podcast app you're listening to, or just pass the show around by word of mouth. That's probably the biggest thing that helps. If you've got people who are fans of HBO and like to hear, say, funny shit about shows on HBO, we're your guys. Allegedly funny. We're also on patreon.com slash HBO boys, where you can get bonus content and get shit out sooner hey did you like uh talkie boys radio hour episode one episode two has been on the patreon for a while now when's it coming to the main feed i don't know it's finals and i'm so fucking busy grading i haven't been able to edit shit at all so we'll see (laughs) wow yeah and hunter hunter should go up tomorrow it goes up like two days beforehand on patreon than than the main channel Plus, we do like 15 minutes of bonus content before every main channel episode, and that will be up on the Patreon as well. And by the way, the patrons, who are so nice and they give us the money and we really appreciate them, are Jamie Lochner, Anthony Wells, Hardboiled Greg, Nicole, Dave Eleven Podcast, James Watch My Dong, Cliff Wilding, Atheist of Unstoppable, Chris Wood, Brinkin, Day Eleven Westworld, Craig, Bachman, John Jurors, Major Woody, and Carol Andreas. Thank you very much for your dollars 
We appreciate it. I probably already said that. And then join us here next week when we recap and review His Dark Materials Season 2, Episode 5, entitled, I already said it and forgot, The Scholar. It's a bad name. I mean, it depends on whether or not there's a scholar in it, I guess. It should be called The Scholars with a Z at the end. So you know it's cool.